Hi, I'm Dennis Hester, and I'm the pastor here at First Baptist Church Watauga, and we are grateful that you have tuned in to listen to these messages, either through our podcast or on our website. And as you listen to these, our prayer is that you would hear the Lord speak to you from His Holy Word. If you're interested in learning more about the church, you can get on our website at fbcwatauga.org. From there, there's a place where you can plan a visit, you can learn more about our beliefs. You can also request prayer through the prayer request page. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. The most important thing that I'd communicate to you is as you listen to God's Word, that you find a place to get plugged into a local congregation, whether it's here at First Baptist or another local church where you live. If you'd like information or would like us to help you find a church home, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. And you can contact us through our Facebook page. So God bless you as you listen to His Word, and may the Lord encourage you in your walk. Amen. Today we are uh, we're beginning our second study of James's uh, letter to his church that was dispersed. Uh, and so as we do that, uh, we're going to be looking at, as we walk through James, we're looking at these various kind of short sermons that James provided for his church family. He, uh, he wrote this letter to give them some really good practical advice of how to deal with specific issues uh, that they were struggling with. And so last week we looked at the first uh, message was how to deal with trials. And certainly the church in James's time was facing all kinds of difficult trials and struggles. And a lot of those were directly uh, connected to persecution of the church. They were being particularly persecuted by the Jews. And James is writing to Jewish Christians who had believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and yet uh, the Jews who did not believe that Jesus was Messiah were persecuting those. I'm, I'm fiddling with my ears because I'm fiddling with my hearing aids. Uh, there we go. I completely lost track of myself there for a moment. Uh, so the, what, what James does when he comes to the second sermon or the second little lesson in James chapter one is he's gonna address the issue of how to deal with temptation. And he wants, us, he wants to be sure that we are not confused between the, the, those two things. Trials and temptation are two different issues. Uh, trials are essentially circumstances in life. We all face trials. Trials can come from every direction. They can come from just being human just from living in a, a world with difficulty. Temptation specifically is something that, that the enemy uses to try to work with a desire or, or something inside of us to draw us to choose his way of having those desires fulfilled or having those needs met. You can look at the anatomy of the very first temptation from Genesis chapter three. And you, you remember the story, uh, God had provided... God had provided miraculously for uh, uh, Adam and Eve. He had given them a, a garden in which to live where they had everything that they needed. They had uh, all of the, the food that they needed. They had, uh, everything was wonderful. Everything was perfect. It was a paradise, ultimately, that God had created for those whom he loved the most, those whom he created in his image. And Satan comes into that garden and begins to tempt Eve. And essentially what he does is he touches Eve at a place of a desire, a God-given desire, and he draws her away through his lies and convinces her that he had a better way of having that desire 
that need met and fulfilled. So a little bit of the, of the text there uh, in, in Genesis 3, 4, it says, uh, Satan tells Eve, you will not die. In fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, in, in the, the, the serpent or in uh, Satan's promise to Eve, there was a little bit of truth, but mostly deception. Certainly, she was going to come to know good and evil. Up until that point, Adam and Eve had only known good. They didn't know evil. They, they didn't live in a world of evil. Everything that they had was good. And he made it sound like it was going to be better for them to know good and evil because in that way, they were going to be like God. Ultimately, Eve gave in. You all know the story. She, she looked at that tree that she was not supposed to eat from and saw that it was good for food and delightful to look at and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. Now, certainly... Eve had a need for food. Eve liked to look at nice, beautiful things. And Eve had a desire for learning and for wisdom. That's, those are all God-given desires. Those are things that God places inside of every human being. He gives us a desire for food. That's one of the most basic needs that we have. He gives us a desire uh, to, to, for beautiful things. If, if you followed my Facebook uh, page lately, you'll, you'll know that I've taken a little bit of this extra time during the COVID lockdown to, to work on some of my photography from pictures I've taken in the mountains. I love to, to not only go stand there at the base of the Tetons and look at those beautiful mountains, but I also, it becomes a place of worship for me. But even to see the photographs of that later on is a moving uh, experience for me. I, we love beauty. God has created us with the desire to, to look upon beauty. God's also created us with an inner desire for wisdom. And so what Satan was doing is he was touching on God-given desires, desires that God had given to Adam and Eve but Satan was seeking to encourage Eve to have those needs met in ungodly ways. God had given them a garden full of ways to have their needs met, and he gave them one option. Just don't go over there. <laughs> Just don't go eat from that tree. And, and there's a lot of questions about why God does that. We don't need to get into all the theology of Genesis at this point, but, but the idea is very simple, that, that for us to choose to love God, there has to be a choice. That's really what love is all about. And so God planted the tree in the garden, said, you got all of this, don't eat that, obey me, follow me, and, and all you're ever gonna know all the rest of your life is good. Satan led them to evil. That's kind of the anatomy of a temptation fleshed out in a story that we see in James chapter one. So turn with me to James chapter one, and we're gonna look at how he addresses this because what he's gonna do is he's gonna describe how temptation works itself out. Uh, in verse 13, he says, no one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. Since God does not, is not tempted by evil and him, he himself does not tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters, for every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, but his own choice, by his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 
So James, as he starts out here, he's making a transition from the idea of trial to the idea of temptation. Now, interestingly, the same root word is used. In fact, throughout the New Testament, the same Greek word is translated trial or temptation because they are closely akin to one another. The only way that you're gonna understand the difference between trial and temptation is not by the word study, it's, it's by understanding that word in context. So essentially what James is doing is he, here in verse 13, he, his concern is to help his readers understand that temptation comes along with trial, but every trial is not a temptation. Ultimately, when we go through difficult times, we are tempted. When we go through financial difficulty, we are tempted to, to address that in godly and ungodly ways, okay? When we, when we face uh, uh, struggles in life, we're suffering, we're going through tough times, sometimes we, we struggle with temptation to deal with our suffering in ungodly ways. Maybe instead of turning to what God has given us to deal with our suffering, we turn toward chemicals, toward alcohol or drugs. But in every case, God gives us a way out. God gives us a way to have our needs met. And the, the temptation that comes from Satan is to have those needs met in ungodly ways. The death of, the death of a loved one can tempt someone to question God's love for us. See, when we go through trials, they can lead us toward temptation. But the trial is not temptation. While God may test us, while he may do a work in our lives to, to prove his servants, as we talked about last week, to purify our faith and to help our faith grow, while he may take us through trials for that, God will never introduce sin and seek to destroy our faith. That's what temptation does. Temptation introduces sin and seeks to draw us away from our faith and draw us into Satan's web of deceit and lies. And so as you work through James chapter one, verse 13 there, uh, it, it, you, you learn that trials are, are common in life. Trials are just common circumstances. And, and when we go through difficulties, we're going through a circumstance right now that is common to the whole world to some extent. This pandemic is widespread and, and, and it is a trial, it's a circumstance in our life that tries us and tries some of us in various ways. For some people, it's, it's created a whole extra load of work. For nurses and doctors who are having to, having to face this daily, it's created a level of stress. For others, it's created isolation and loneliness. And so it's created the trials are different for everyone, but trials come out of that circumstance of life. Every single one of us is at some point in our life gonna face the death of a loved one. That will try us. But that's not a temptation. What Satan will do is he'll, out of those trials, he'll try to tempt us. Temptations are an, uh, operate, or, or they come from two places, essentially. One is from our own flesh from inside our sinful flesh. Because we as human beings are sinful in our flesh, sometimes our flesh leads us and it tempts us to have our needs and our desires met in ungodly ways. But I would, I would submit to you that the second way is really the root. S Satan will tempt us from the outside. You know, I, I don't necessarily buy into this idea that you've got a little angel sitting on one side and you've got a little devil sitting on the other side and they're both talking into your head all the time. But in some ways, that illustrates the struggles that we have in life. 
God offers us an opportunity to have our needs met his way. Satan will offer us an opposing opportunity. Generally, God will speak through a still small voice. Satan will be yelling in our ear. And, and so uh, the, the, ultimately, all temptation is rooted, all temptation directed toward men is rooted in evil. It's rooted in Satan uh, because even our flesh has become sinful because of the temptation, the sin that he introduced into the world. So as you understand trials and temptation, you understand that there's a difference between those two. And finally, James wants us to understand that God does not tempt anyone. God himself will never be the one that seeks to draw you into sin and away from his ways. God will always be seeking to draw you toward him, not towards sin. And so the, the, then as you move to verses 14 and 15, what, what James is going to do for his readers is he's going to give them kind of that anatomy of temptation. He's going to uh, help us to understand what temptation is. And, and let me just kind of walk you through this because every one of us has this circumstance in our life. Every one of us, for instance, has a, has a need for food. Every one of us has a need for companionship. God's created us that way. We all have these, these needs. And so when you walk through verses 14 and 15, he says, each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So how does a temptation begin? Well, a temptation begins, as I've already hinted at in the story of Adam and Eve, with a need, with a desire. God has created us with things that we need, okay? He's created us with desires that are, that are common to all men. Need for safety, need for, for clothing, need, need for, uh, for love, need for appreciation. Uh, you can go down the list. We, we have all kinds of needs that, that are not necessarily bad. And in fact, the word that's translated desire here is, is a neutral word. A desire is not bad. What gets us in trouble is when we are tempted by that evil desire. And so what Satan does, Scripture says here, is he seeks to tempt us by drawing us and enticing us by an evil desire, by taking that desire and twisting it and drawing us into his web. Every time that I read this, I'm, I'm led to, to uh, go back to, to my experience in, in fishing. Because one of the things that I learned, especially when I was a kid, we grew up uh, on Lake Travis and we did a lot of uh, trot line fishing and we did a lot of white bass fishing. We're fishing for white bass during the, the run, during the uh, early spring or late winter season when the white bass were schooling. What was amazing is all you had to do was throw something out there that was shiny and, and they would come after it. Now, ultimately, God has provided a way for those white bass to have their need for food to be met. One of the things that they feasted on in Lake Travis were shad. Uh, they would chase after the little shad, and the shad were shiny little fish. And so, uh, you know, they would go after that shad, and, and, and that would fill their tummies with it. So because shad were shiny, all you had to do was pick something that was shiny, in fact, a lot of times we'd fish with what was called a spoon. It just looked like the bottom of a spoon. You put a hook into it, you throw it out there, and, and they would attack it, thinking that it was going to fulfill their desires. 
And so what we did was we lured them. You understand that term. (laughs) That's why they call them fishing lures. (laughs) We would lure them by connecting with the desire that they had, and we would throw that lure in front of them, and maybe it was a little bit shinier. Maybe it was a little bit slower. Maybe it was a little bit easier to get a hold of than the real thing. And so they would attack that lure, and wham, we'd have them. We'd hook them. Satan does the same thing. Imagine uh, you know, the human uh, need for, for financial gain. And, and God has given us a way to earn a living. He's, he's taught, he's given us work. He's given us the ability to, to earn a wage, to earn a living. But, you know, sometimes it just seems a whole lot easier that if I could, uh, you know, put a, a, a few dollars down on the table and throw some dice, maybe I can make a whole lot of money really fast. And so, of course, Vegas has, has created an entire industry on luring people into a trap of financial gain. That you, know, it, it, you can win the easy way. You can make millions the easy way. And of course, what do they surround all of that world with? With stuff that is shiny, Stuff that is beautiful, stuff that is desirous. And you can have your need for for your finances met if you would just come in and put your money down on the table and they lure you away by something that is not of God. And once you get connected to it, what Satan knows is if if he can hook you on that habit, he can hook you on that desire, he can... He can grab a hold of you, then he can begin to draw you away. So it begins with that first glance, with that that desire. And see, that that first glance, that desire is not sin. But then we are drawn away from what God's plan would be toward where Satan would want to lead us. So God has a plan and purpose to fulfill our needs, but Satan wants to draw us over to his way of having those needs fulfilled. And so he begins to draw us away. And we have to make a choice at that point. In in essence, you can define it by the word faith. Do I believe that God's way of meeting my needs is best? Or do I believe that Satan's way of meeting my needs is best? And we make a choice. we, We put our faith in one of those two ways. We either put our faith in God and trust that he's gonna provide for us in his time and in his way, which sometimes, honestly, God's a little bit slower. It seems like we can get there a whole lot faster if we do it the world's way, if we do it Satan's way. Are we gonna put our faith in God's way, or are we gonna put our faith in the world's way? What Satan offers us, what this world offers us, what our flesh draws us to. As soon as we make that choice, then we begin to walk down the path of sin. Action. We put our faith in one of those two choices. See, the temptation out there is not sin. That first glance is not sin. It's that choice and acting upon that choice. That's where sin comes. And so you see James here in verse 13 or verse 14 and 15. He is drawn away by his own evil desire and then after desire has conceived and gives birth to sin. Once that you have given in toward the evil fulfillment of that fleshly desire, then it gives birth to sin in your life. And and that sin begins to eat away at you because 
Sin always creates a barrier of separation between us and God. James is writing to believers here. And so the struggle that I have as you come toward the end of verse uh, 15 here is when he says that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Well, well, wait a minute. If if I'm born again in Christ, my sin has been cleansed by his blood, how, how does this lead toward death? Well, ultimately for the Christian, our sin never leads to complete spiritual death. But what it does lead to is it leads to a separation from us and from God until we get to a point where we're spiritually hardened and ultimately act like we're spiritually dead. Now, the good news for every believer, for everybody who has put their faith in Jesus Christ is that if we will confess our sin and no matter how far down this road we are, whether we're at that point of, of choice uh, where we're putting our faith in the wrong place or we're at this next place, if we will confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's hope even in that. But if we refuse to continually uh, live in, or if we choose to continually live in that sin and refuse to confess it and come back to Christ, there's a dying that goes on inside, even of the believer. So how do we avoid the deception? That's the next couple verses. He says, don't be deceived. One of the first ways to avoid the deception is put your faith in this very truth. Every good and perfect gift is from God. It's from above. If you want what is good for life, if you want what is perfect for life, if, if you want the, the, a blessing of life that is truly gonna be fulfilling, stake your faith on what God offers to fulfill your desires, on what God says is right, not on what this world says is right, and not on what your flesh draws you to, or not on what, what that, that loud voice, Satan is calling you to with shiny things, okay? Stake your faith on what God says is is good because every good and perfect gift comes from God. He is the one who gives you the way that that, that will perfectly fulfill your desires and won't leave an emptiness, won't leave that hole. It won't leave you caught in Satan's trap of sin. So at first look, look for God's way. And then second, understand that God's way, when we choose God's way, it's gonna lead us to the Father of light. You know, one of the, the fun things I, I kid people about is uh, people who, who just naturally, they like to, to sit in a dark room. Well, some people do it because they have headaches. Matthew does it, I don't know why. You know, he's artistic in that way. And so I kid him a lot because uh, the way he sets up his office, it's dark in there. And I like a lot of light. But there's a, a spiritual truth about darkness that it doesn't have anything to do with real light in your office. I'm not gonna pick too much on Matthew. But the scripture in John chapter three tells us that those people who wanna do it the evil one's way, who don't wanna do it God's way, who love evil things, they love darkness because darkness hides their evil deeds. And ultimately, that's what Satan wants us to do. He doesn't want those things to be out in the light. Sin leads us toward darkness. Sin leads us toward Satan. 
Sin leads us toward evil. But God offers a perfect, good option for every need that he's placed inside of the human. And in fact, with Adam and Eve, they had all of the good and no evil until temptation came and lured them away. So we have a choice, and that choice is, our, is where we're gonna put our faith once again. It's the opposite side of, of that spectrum. See, we, we, have a, we have a circumstance, we have temptation that's come, we have an option, now we have to choose. Are we gonna choose what the world is telling us is the right way to have our needs met, or are we gonna choose what God says? And James tells us that God's way is good and perfect, that God's way is, is gonna be fulfilling. And so if Satan's way leads to sin, God's way is gonna lead to righteousness. If we choose to have our needs fulfilled the way that God has offered, then we're gonna find ourselves walking in righteousness. We're gonna find ourselves walking in obedience to him. And then ultimately, we choose Satan's way we, we, we choose the world's way, we're gonna find ourselves moving toward death. When we choose God's way, we put our faith in, in, in his options, we're gonna find ourselves moving toward life. You see it in society, if you step back and honestly look at those who have sought to have their needs met in ungodly ways, where the end, where, where their life ends up headed. Honestly, our culture argues all day long about the value uh, or the, whether we should have the right to ingest uh, chemicals in our body through drugs or to drink toward drunkenness because it makes us feel good or, or fulfill our needs because adults should have the choice of how they have their sensual needs fulfilled whether we should be able to do those inside of marriage or outside of marriage, or whether we should be able to do those with the same sex, or whether we should subscribe to God's plan and only enter into marriage with the opposite sex. You see, the world offers options for every one of our needs, for every one of our desires. For our need for, for income, the world offers options. Illegal options, legal options. <laughs> And Satan has always drawn us that direction. And I've lived long enough, and I've pastored long enough to watch what making those choices that Satan offers, it, it, by putting your faith in his option, I've lived long enough to, to see where those lead. And what I see is a trail of broken homes, destroyed families, ruined lives, Depression, anxiety, suicide, death, societal disruption, uh, a, a messed up culture, fighting and backbiting. Ultimately, when we start down that road of saying, you know, I know God says this is good, but I think this is good. I know God says this is right, but I think this is right. So I, I, we, I have a right to do what I think. And we are drawn, we are lured away 
from righteousness. We're lured away from having our needs fulfilled God's way. We're lured towards Satan's way. It always leads to destruction and death. Yes, it may feel good for a time. You may make a whole lot of money gambling for a short period of time. It may seem right for a time. But in the long term, it always leads to death and destruction. And the promise from God's word is that if we choose to do things his way, it's always gonna be good. It's always gonna be right. It's always gonna lead to life. When you come to the last verse, he uses some language that seems a little bit strange to us. He says, by his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth. So James is writing to believers. He's writing to people who have been reborn by the word of truth. For James, I imagine that he has... Uh, some of the words of Jesus in mind, and even some of the words of the other disciples, that Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That for those who have been born by the word of truth, not by the lies, but they're walking according to truth, we have been made into a kind of first fruit of his creatures. And there's two ways to understand first fruits. One is that it comes first. It's, it's primary. It's the you know, first tenth. Uh, but probably the, the most important way to understand that passage here is the very best. Oftentimes when the Israelites were called to bring their first fruits of their harvest, it doesn't mean the first uh, peach that they took off the tree. It means the very best to God. And so the scripture's telling us here that, that we become, when we walk with Christ in righteousness, we become the very best that, 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 that God has created. We, we become his best. Now there's essentially what he's telling us here is that we can have this victory. We, we can win this battle over temptation. We don't have to give in to sin. We can win it. We can stand as victors over it. Now first of all, in Christ, as we walk in a relationship with him, as the first fruits of, of God's people, we have victory over the penalty of sin. You know, this one is the, the easy one that we all understand. When Christ died on the cross and he shed his blood for us, and he died for us, he shed his blood as a payment for our sins. So we are not, no longer responsible. We don't have to pay the price for our own sin. We don't have to pay the penalty of our sin. 1 Corinthians is a great passage that speaks to this and toward the end of Paul's teaching on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, it says, when this corrupt body is clothed with incorruptible and the mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, through Christ, we have won a victory over the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin was death. The penalty of sin leads us away from God. The penalty of sin was eternal death. And in Christ, we have a victory over sin. So Christ has, has offered us a victory over the penalty of sin. So, so sin no longer, we're, we're no longer characterized by sin. That's why Paul refers to, to the Christians in his letters as saints, the saints at Corinth, the saints at Ephesus, because he, he recognizes that they've been made holy, they've been set apart, they've, they, they're different now. They've been washed by the blood of Christ. 
Ultimately, if you put your faith in Christ as your personal savior, you have a victory over the penalty of sin. Now, the opposite of that is also true. If you have not put your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone as your savior, then you don't have victory over the penalty of sin. You still will face the price. You'll still face the judgment for your sin. You'll be penalized for your sin. And then finally, and this this gets to where James is talking to the believers here, we are also saved from the power of sin in our life. See, sin no longer has authority over us. I'm no longer only human and I have to sin. I don't have to walk in sin anymore because the Holy Spirit who dwells in me empowers me and has released me from the power of sin. I have a choice. You can even make the argument that those who don't know Christ really don't have much of a choice. They don't have the empowering Holy Spirit to enable them to overcome sin. They're chained to sin in a very real way. But for the believer, those who put their faith in Christ, he has cleansed us from sin. He's placed his spirit inside of us. And so we no longer have to succumb to every whim. We don't have to give in to every temptation of our flesh. We don't have to give in to every temptation of the, of the devil, of the evil one. We have victory over, over the power of sin. You see it in Romans chapter six as Paul struggles with this issue. In verse six, uh, seven, and in verse 11, he says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. And then he goes on to say at the end of that paragraph, so you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to, to God in Christ Jesus. See, the good news is that if you put your faith in Christ as your savior, first of all, you've been set free from the penalty of sin. When you die, when you leave this earth, you will not pay the price for your sin. Your sin has been covered by the blood of Christ. But second, and this is good news for today, it's good news for right now for every believer. You have been set free from the power of sin. Sin has no power over you. You really do have a choice. And so the option for every believer today, when Satan or your flesh begins to lead you toward giving in, giving in to temptation, lead you towards sin, is just to simply ask that question, who am I gonna trust? Who am I gonna believe? And am I gonna believe what the world's telling me? Am I gonna believe what my flesh is telling me? Am I gonna believe the lies that Satan is whispering in my ear? Or am I gonna believe what God's word is telling me? Am I gonna believe what God says? And that's where you really begin to go down one of two different roads. You're gonna choose whether you're gonna believe Satan's way of having your needs met, be tempted and led away, lured, by temptation, or you're gonna accept God's way and you're gonna walk in obedience and righteousness and life. The, the, the options become clear when you begin to understand it this way. If we'll follow God's way, it'll always lead to life. Well, what if I'm a little confused? What if, what if I'm reading God's word and I'm not sure about a certain thing? I'm not sure about whether I'm supposed to take this job or that job. And maybe that really doesn't relate to what we would think is temptation or sin, but certainly we believe God's got a plan and God's got a way for us. Here's my belief. If we'll earnestly seek the Lord with all of our heart, he'll lead us. And even if we earnestly seeking the Lord make the wrong choice, 
he's going to be okay with it. And he's going to lead us back the right direction. See, it's about where our heart is. It's about who we choose to follow, not necessarily the exact path. Are you, are you choosing to follow the way of the world and accept the lure into temptation? Are you choosing to follow Christ and God's word? We're going to get to this next week as a part of the next message. But when you come down a, a couple verses uh, below where we were in James chapter 1, you see him essentially just saying, hey, put away sin, put away the foolish things of this world, and let the word of God take root, be implanted in your life, and you'll be led the right way. And that's my prayer for you today. First of all, if you don't know for sure that you've been set free from the penalty of sin, you don't know if you were to die today, if you'd have to pay the price for your sin, or if the Lord would look at you and say, you've been forgiven. You put your faith in my son. My prayer is that if you don't know for sure that you get that settled today, reach out to Kevin or reach out to me or the staff this week or find somebody around you that knows the way, knows how you can, how you can come to Christ and put your full faith in Christ for your salvation so that you can be set free from the penalty of sin. But for those who already know that, that you've been set free from the penalty of sin, if you're to die today, you'd go to heaven. If you're struggling with temptation, it's really a, about a choice. Who do you believe? Do you believe God and his word? Or do you believe the things you hear from this world? Do you believe the things that, that your flesh is drawing you toward? Make the choice. Choose today to follow God's word. Commit to him. And, and, and once you place your faith in God's word and act upon that, it'll lead to life. 